Okay, good morning everyone. Can we, can we start the session? Thank you, thank you for choosing this session, even when you have many other options. Um, so, the, the, the topic for this mini-workshop is, uh, am I fine here or should I? I'm short enough, I'm not obscuring anything. <laughs> so, uh, on rank, power and privilege. I think I just want to... Where's my presentation? <laughs> I saw the heading. Okay. They say if you want to test whether somebody knows their topic, mix up the PowerPoints and let them talk. It's actually not there. It should be here. Yes, yes, this is the one. It's here, it's here. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I often like um, to start by saying, wh why are we doing this work? I did say there that you are not here. You know, I've worked with so many organizations, not um, across industries, across countries. I find that there are four things that are of concern to leaders. And number one, leaders are concerned with how to attract and keep talented people. Number two, they are concerned about how do I ensure that there's creativity, innovation, so that we meet client or customer satisfaction. Number three, that how to ensure that there's returns and shareholder value. And the fourth one, whether ethics permeate the corporate culture so that the company is in alignment with community or stakeholder expectations. I find it doesn't matter. I do work in the US, uh, different Germany on global diversity. These four things are common for any leader. No company like yours sitting here exists for diversity and inclusion. Maybe except mine, you know. <laughs> but, but no company exists for that. So your co uh, we, we, it's a very important for us to position this. The work that we are doing here is not an end in itself. It's a means towards an end. That end that whatever company you are working for, that this is our vision, this is our purpose. So it's, it's, it's very critical that we position it that way. However, it's an important means that if you ignore that means, we know that reputation matters, isn't it? If you work for a company, and these past few months, we know companies whose reputations, unfortunately, uh, have been up in the papers. You might find that 95% of people who work in that company have done nothing. They haven't embezzled the funds. But just because you work for that company, if I say I work for company X, they say, how much did you get? You see, reputation does matter. So of these four things, I just want to say they are not, this topic is not an end, but it's an important means so that we deal with issues that might be of concern to people. So why are we doing this work at the end of the day? I'm hoping that we're not just doing it for purposes of the companies that we work for only, uh, but we're doing this for social cohesion, that we want a society that works towards the well-being of all its people, its members, that fights exclusion and marginalization. 
We want a society um, that creates a sense of belonging for, for, for its employees, for its members, that promotes trust and offers its members opportunity for upward mobility. I often say that this is my 19th year working in transformation, diversity and inclusion. I've never come across a person who does not want upward mobility. Whether it's a woman who's cleaning the floors in my house or the gentleman who's cleaning the windows in my office, all of them want upward mobility. That is why I like the, the, the quotation by Ernest Hemingway, who says that there is nothing noble in being superior to anyone. The greatest nobility is being superior to your former self. That if all of us were to look at how can I be a better Nini than last year, how can I, then I would not look at anybody as if they are less than me because I would know that everyone is actually looking for upward mobility. So I'm hoping that over and above a plus that when we do this work it will benefit your organization but generally for society that we exist in. And what is guiding us? What is guiding this journey that we are in? Remember that little book? that uh, most of us have that, that constitutional heal offers for free, that we are supposed to read called the Constitution, that I know majority have not necessarily read. If you haven't read it, at least read one page, which is called the preamble, just one. Because the preamble for me summarizes uh, in a very good way, why are we even busy with this? And I'll only talk about the bold stuff. It says, we, the people of South Africa. And it also talks about, we believe that South Africa belongs to all who live in it, uh, uh, united in our diversity. And it talks about healing the divisions uh, of the past, also establishing a society based on democratic values and all that. So for me, even if you don't read the whole page, if you just look at the preamble, and immediately what happens when we show the preamble, people say, ah, please tell me about that constitution, where we are as a country now. And I'm saying as long as we have a North Star, as to whether people don't live it, politicians and corporate people don't live it, it's one thing. But we do have a North Star as to why do we want work to do uh, work, work like this. So, and I often like uh, by not assuming that we're all on the same page quickly to say what is the common language when we talk about transformation, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, I say to, to people often, transformation is not a South African word. It's just an English word that says, it's just that here it, in this country we feel like we own it. The minute you hear transformation, it goes in a particular way. Just objectively, what transformation means is that it's a process of profound and radical. The minute you hear radical, you think of some political party. This is what transformation is, a change that orients an organization or institution in a direction, a particular direction, to take its, to, uh, its efficiency, to improve. So the intention of transformation, we don't transform for the sake of it. We are hopefully transforming so that we can get something better. Yes, the how of how people go about transformation might be questionable, but it's important to say what does the definition of the term mean, not what we have made it to, uh, to actually mean. And then diversity, I like this one. You can Google, there are a million definitions of this, but the one that for me is a working definition is that it's a collective mixture of differences and similarities, related complexities and tensions. Do you agree that diversity has tensions and complexities? Yes, because I can come as a leader, as an executive director, head of department and say, diversity is an asset, it's good for our business. You know, that's 50% of the story. 
it's good, it's an asset, on condition you do certain things. And those certain things is inclusion. You can have a department, you can have a section that is as diverse as this rainbow. But what is important is what is inclusion. If inclusion is missing in it, then you haven't done the job. So inclusion is that deliberate action where diversity is leveraged, okay? Uh, to create a fair, healthy, and high-performing organization or even community. So inclusion, my standard three teacher years ago used to say to me, a verb is a doing word. So I never forgot that. So inclusion is a doing word. You do something. It doesn't happen automatically. That is where we're saying, as we're sitting here as leaders, what can I do to create more inclusion in the space in which I am functioning? And then... The equity, what we mean by equity, we know not equity in the way uh, you, you, you talk about equity every day, but more social equity, that equality and equity are different. Looking at those pictures, uh, that tall uh, gentleman there, you can see that if they are all on the same platform, he's tall so he can get the apple. The one who's shorter cannot reach the apple. The one who's even shorter is further even from the apple. But what we mean by equity, therefore, we are saying you do not remove this one because this one is tall. You do not remove his platform. You are aiding, you are aiding so that you can create some form of equity. So what, what people talk about reasonable measures that are done by organizations is that what is it that you can advance and assist to ensure that there's equitable, either equitable representation of women, of black people, people with disabilities, whatever your targets might be in your organization. So I just felt it's important for us to um, give the, the, the definition. So getting to the issue of rank and power, I like this quotation that uh, with great power comes great responsibility. That wherever we are, when we have some amount of power, it comes with responsibility. So what do we mean by rank? So societies, cultures, and organizations and teams develop ranking system. Even without our permission, societies develop ranking system. They rank people, uh, they put you on a, a, a kind of level, um, and what we mean by rank in, is that one's power position in any given system, in any context relative to other people in the same system. Okay, and it will become clearer when I uh, finish this. And power, therefore, in this context, is the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others. So if I'm powerful as a mother in my house, if I'm powerful as a wife, if I'm powerful at whatever, I can sort of steer certain things to a certain direction because power does give you that as well. And then what does privilege mean? It's the benefits or advantage of one's rank and power. So once I have a particular rank or power, it could give me some privilege to do certain things or advantage. And there's different types of rank, right? We have something called social rank that is bestowed on you. Okay, social rank by virtue of you being born, uh, Peter, if you are born male like that, it's, it's, uh, society puts you in a particular uh, a rank in society. That's you, you didn't choose, you didn't say, hey, can I be born male? You know, it's those things that automatic like that. And uh, local rank, local rank is that those, if the, you familiarity with, uh, let's say, tenure, in your company, you've worked long, you now know all the corners, you know how to do things. Or you are South African, vis-a-vis -vis people who maybe are not South African. Uh, if you're working in China, like Alan has been presenting, uh, the people who are Chinese will have more local
local rank than he does. So it's basically around what is the context in which you find yourself. Um, and then we have designated rank. If you are a CEO, that's a given. It's a designated rank. It can be taken away or you can resign or whatever, but certain types of rank, you cannot take it away. Let me give you an example. Um, before that, that the ability to, to discern the impact um, of one's rank, power and privilege and to apply it to improve social cohesion. I spoke about social cohesion. If I'll be able to implement and say, let me use the, the rank and the power that I have to create more social cohesion, we'll be working towards creating something. I, I, I want to, before I show you the pictures that follow, I want to give you an example of a negative use of rank and a positive one. We were giving a result of a survey to a company. Um, uh, we had done an employee engagement survey at Grayston. It was, I, th I think it's called the Maslow now. It was still Grayston Hotel. Um, so the Exco was meeting and the CEO invited us to come in before they finished their last item. In that company, they implement what they call exposing their top shining talent. So we got in there just before my presentation. The marketing director was introducing what she was uh, saying is her young, bright talent. He must have been about 28, if I know. I didn't ask him his age, but around 28 or so. So this is where I have seen a negative use of rank. I take that a CEO already has positional rank. Would you agree? When you are a CEO, you have the power relative to other people that are in there. So here's this young gentleman, he's coming to present, right? And the item before that, they were not using laptops, it was some kind of dialogue. So he comes in, he connects uh, the laptop. Uh, who can tell me that you have never experienced connecting the laptop and then this thing doesn't talk to this thing? I, I think I, I do a lot of presentations, even if you've done your preparation, sometimes that happens. So here's this young man, he's connecting, Exco is sitting here, he's called the bright young star because they are promoting their talent. He's connecting the laptop, he keeps on saying uh, there was a word, not compatible or something. And the more he tries, and it's like still. they are looking at him. My anxiety. I can see he's shaking. Now, I'm a visitor. I, I felt like saying, can somebody please call IT, right? And then the CEO, this is a classic. I never forgot that story. The CEO doesn't talk to the gentleman, the young gentleman. He talks to the marketing director who's the sponsor. And he says, can you tell your guy seven minutes is off now from his time? Do you know that the minute he said that, I could, the shaking was worse when this young man was trying. So eventually the marketing director leaves, somebody calls IT, IT comes and they connect, eventually it's in. And when it's up there, he looks at his watch, rolling his eyes, he looks at his watch and say, you virtually left with eight minutes. Do you know, I don't know that young man, his presentation was the most horrible, not content but just the way he was coming across. Now take that example. What stopped that CEO, right, from saying, while he can see that there's difficulty in connecting, what stopped that CEO to say, can we take a five minute leg stretch? He's most the boss, ne? What stopped him from saying, can we take five minute leg stretch? Or even better, walk to the young gentleman, you can touch him here and say, don't worry, it happens to all of us, because it does. 
So for me, I'm saying sometimes when you are totally not aware of the rank and the power, this is a company that says we are promoting talent. And what do you think happened to that young gentleman when he left that room? Next time he has to present to another exco the buttons of what went through come up. These are the little things that we never actually consider, that when we have a certain amount of power, we can use it more positively. So this is what I, Peter, you're next to me. I use you as an example. Okay. When, if you look at generally what you call Western countries, in South Africa, even if you are a third world, we copy a lot of this. If you are white, you are male, you are heterosexual, I'm going to assume certain things. You are white, you are male. Yes, because I haven't asked him. So you are white, you are male, you are heterosexual. Let's say you are Christian or Jewish. You are middle class, upper class, educated, able-bodied. We put it lightly. We say, you the package. You know why? society, the way society treats you without even asking you, the way society treats you automatically. If you and I were to walk in a room, even if I'm an expert in something, society generally, I don't mean people who come to workshops every day like this who maybe can engage with a the subject, they would automatically saying he knows better, right? If he's male, no hal, he knows even more better. Okay, so this is, this is generally what happens in, in society. Those of, do you know Malcolm Gladwell? He wrote a book, uh, Outliers and Blink and Tipping Point. I read it in one of those three books. He's got case study of rank, power, and privilege. He does beautiful work around this. Uh, he says, as a professor in the University of California, he sent out four groups. Um, he grouped his students into one group of uh, a black students, males, the black females, uh, white males, white females, and he sent them out to, to, to the dealerships. And he says, go, and they were dressing up in more or less the same way so that they mustn't look more richer than the other. So they were dressed in the, and he says, go out into the dealerships out there. Go pretend as if you want to buy a car. The most interesting case study, you must read it, because when they came back, the stories they told, that as I walk into the dealership looking at this beautiful car, the salesman looks at me, the, ah, this one can't afford it, let me run to this one. Um, now, this, this, this is what happens, and unless you actually make yourself aware of how, they, those people might not be in agreement with the fact that they are treated that way, but that's how society does it. So the same list here, if I were to pre uh, present it this way, all the other characters are the same except that one. This one is female. It's like minus 30% on the same. And if you don't believe me, check. And check how many women, doesn't matter what race group, are decision makers in organizations. There is something that is minus in the way one element uh, is missing out of what we call that package of, of, of rank. And the third one, then it's even worse. If you are saying you are black, and then you are gay, and then you can know how you are married. You must check what organizations do. We do a lot of workshops around how people are treated when they present uh, as to who they are. The difficulty of saying, no, you don't actually fit the norm. You don't fit our norm. This is how even in organizations it translates itself into day-to-day -day thing. You could meet someone, let's say you meet a black gentleman, a manager, who's very passionate about talking against race. 
And the same person, when it comes to sexual orientation, he's a different person. He now discriminates against that. So can you see the complexity of saying we, we have rank? That is why I often say that rank is contextual. It depends on where you are. So this black gentleman might not have rank in certain contexts, but I put, him, I put him in the NEC of the ANC. He's got more rank than Peter does, right? So rank is contextual. It depends on where you are. So all of us at any given point in time, we do have rank. We do have power to do things in such a way that we can make other people's lives easier. We're only presenting it not that people should deny their rank, but people should say, how and where can I use the rank and the power that I have in this given situation to make someone's life easier? Years ago, I worked for the city of Cape Town, and I was looking for a flat at Dambruslov. I've got a friend, Marie, um, I was phoning for a flat. I was phoning the agent, no, full, no flat. And then Marie phoned, sitting next to me, phoned the same agent. They said, ma'am, we have two, you can come and see them. She wasn't telling them that she's sitting next to me. Now she's a very feisty, whatever she says, let's go. I want to go to that agent. Now, it's a different story as to what happened, but I ended up... <laughs> I ended up having a flat. What I want to try and explain to you, what I'm explaining to you is that at some, she was using her rank at that time because the agent, they were speaking Afrikaans and they felt that mm, it's okay to give this one. She used her rank to make my life easier. So at any point in time, we need to look at what is it that I can do with the rank, with the power that I have. I might be a manager, I might be head of a department that we must totally recognize that all of us at some point have a rank. If you look at this woman and you look at me, she's black, I'm black, she's a woman, I'm a woman, you look at that, she's sitting on a wheelchair, right? You would agree that she'll have far less rank than me. The way society treats people with disabilities, she has less rank. So here, I have rank. And I need to also recognize that this is how society operates. This is how organizations operate. Therefore, I, it doesn't make sense for me to deny that, no, 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 only people with rank are people who are white or who are male. Yes, the levels of rank differ, but all of us at any given point in time, we do have that situation, the context where we can use our power better. I'm presenting this to remind you that if you have rank, People listen to you. When you don't have rank, it's more difficult for people to listen to you. Do you know why? If there's a new manager, have you ever had somebody say new, maybe he or she is not sure of their position, and uh, let's say the boss is on the fifth floor, and she's giving people who report to her a deadline to say, fifth floor wants this tomorrow. So-and-so wants this tomorrow because you feel you need to enroll somebody else's power, not yours, if you're not sure about you haven't stepped fully into the power that you have. If uh, you have rank, you feel freer. You know, it's more ease for you to speak. And when you don't have rank, it's more difficult. You sort of self-edit yourself. You're not sure that should I, should I not say it? Have you ever been in a meeting where you want to say something and then you're doubting me and then somebody else says it? And the boss says, wonderful, 
And he said, Ish, I should have said it earlier. You know, it, when you go through doubt, issues of self-doubt, for whatever reason that is happening in your, in your context, this is what lack of rank tends to do to people. You can get things done easier. It's harder to get things done when you don't have rank. You are able to take your space easily. Even you walk, you, you, you own your space easily when you have rank. And when you don't, it's more difficult to do that. Um, and when you have rank, you know, Often, and I'm not saying at 100%, but often you find that you have credibility until you do something to lose it. When you don't have rank, it's the other way around. You have to work harder to get the credibility. So this, and I know sometimes when you're listening to this, you say, no, it's not true. Believe me, talk to people who don't have rank, different levels of rank in an organization. And I'm saying, let us recognize where we can do something better to create that kind of inclusive culture and get to that talent and get to the core business that Alan was talking about, being more innovative, being excited about trying out new things. Because if you do not pick up some of these difficulties that people go through, then we'll never maximize on what she was uh, uh, talking about there. Let me give you an example of um, what I often say to leaders. We find in environments when we do surveys, people say it's difficult to talk to them. I don't feel safe. People don't feel safe to speak up, right? And when you have rank and you are a leader, one of the tips that we give is that, let's say you are here, you've been hearing feedback that people don't speak up easily. So we say, okay, invite feedback as a leader. You're the top boss, invite feedback. But the way you invite feedback matters. Have you ever somebody had somebody bashing a table, give me feedback? I need to do, please tell me. Just the way you come across, there's nobody who's going to give you feedback. If there's already a culture where some people are fearful. So the way you invite feedback is that I'm actually serious. Give me feedback so that I can improve. And when somebody then gives you feedback, you know, there is nothing powerful than a powerful leader showing vulnerability. And a powerful leader who says, you know, Thank you for the feedback. It's a bit uncomfortable because I didn't uh, uh, expect it, but thank you for giving. You can even say it won't be career limiting that you gave me this feedback. Because if you want a culture shift, if you want to shift something in your culture, people want to look up and see that leaders are the ones who are leading uh, uh, the way and who's not afraid to get that negative feedback. And then you can say, I actually commit, because I'm not saying you, you say I'll change immediately. I commit to reflecting on it because that's what we need to do with feedback. If one person gives you feedback, it doesn't mean it's the correct issue. So reflect and maybe ask other people. But the other thing that tends to work is that elevated to public space. I'm talking about cultures where, where we've done surveys and people say, here, you cannot just speak up. Otherwise, it's career limiting. So if you want to change, I said inclusion is a doing word. There is something that you need to do. So you can actually elevate it to public space. What do I mean? I gave you feedback. You are my boss. And I was uncomfortable because the culture here, we don't speak up. And then you said, yeah, no, come to me. Give me feedback. And then you are addressing a big audience at some point. And just, of course, only when it's appropriate to say, you know, I'm continuing to encourage people to give me and other leaders feedback. The other day I received feedback which was difficult, but it was useful. 
That is what, you know, when we were trained on change, change 101 says if the top leader does something, even if it's as small as this, if it's visible, that shifts something in the culture. Because people will then believe that, wow, if you were able to give her feedback or him feedback, and he's even saying he welcomes that feedback, it does something. It begins to tell people that the leader indeed was serious about this. So what I want uh, you to do quickly so that you don't live without a tangible exercise. Um, I like the quotation by Bishop Tutu who said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate that. That if you have, if you have power uh, in a system and you don't speak up when you see unfairness, when you see injustice, you are not doing the ultimate to ensure that you you creating inclusion in your organization. So are there ways in which you think you can use privilege to help others? Some ideas include the following. If you want to use your power, your rank, your, your privilege, they include the following. Acknowledging that privilege exists and point it out. Um, amplifying statements made by the less privileged when in agreement, especially in meetings during May, uh, this year, I went to, to San Diego, I was presenting at a conference, uh, and uh, uh, President Barack was our keynote speaker. They were asking him to talk about what are the leadership nuggets, the lessons that he got when he was president. One thing that for me, I, whenever I'm in the presence of a good leader, I learn. I take, last year Peter spoke, there were certain things I took uh, from him. I say, this is how we learn. So what he was sharing uh, with the audience, he said, the one thing that I have learned and I found in the White House when women felt not listened to, we implemented a practice there that I was saying to women, if you are saying in normal meetings you are not listened to, start yourselves first. Let's say she said a, a, a point in a meeting and it's really a great point, and nobody really acknowledges as a great point. She was saying, start at women first. When it's your turn to talk, pick up and say, you know, like, uh, let's, your name is Kenny. And then you say, you know, picking up from what Kenny mentioned, this is a great point. Do you know that he said just by implementing that, that pick up, uplift each other, build on each other's points, then this is how the culture will be changing. And for me, I say that can actually work. You, you sometimes are in a meeting and you think you've given the most wonderful idea and it's, you know, just the meeting hands on. Uh, and you feel that, man, I thought, you know, but other people are being acknowledged and all that. There is something in our day-to-day -day interactions that we can do and it can actually work. Encouraging practices and activities that include staff. Calling out behavior, very important. Calling out behavior that is not in line with organizational values, especially if you are senior, and calling it out. People must see you to call out that behavior because sometimes we tend to reward indirectly. We reward bad behavior. And what we do, let's say there's a finance manager who's excellent in terms of his core business, uh, but he's horrible with people management. But in terms of finance issues, he's very good. What do companies do? During awards, he climbs the stage. Wow, we give him an award, right? What signals are you sending? 
He's saying it doesn't matter if you manage people badly. We're just interested in this aspect. So it's important for leaders to call out that behavior. That's the only way culture changes. It must start there to say, yes, we, we value the fact that you are a great finance manager, but we do not value the fact that in your engagement survey, 35% of your people are crying because of the way you manage them. This is the active work. The inclusion is a call to action. Um, so what I want to, to do just as a quick exercise, I know these are small, but you might uh, see them, that rank comes in many different contexts, okay? Rank could come in terms of the level and position in the company. You might be CEO, you might be head of actuary department, you might be uh, whatever the, the position that you have. Um, your years of experience, your tenure in your company um, also gives you some form of rank, your race, your gender sexual orientation, ability, all those things give you a rank in the context in which you function, right? So what I'm just asking you to do, because we said this is indeed a workshop, can you just turn around, three people next to you, just be in three, in three groups. What um, I would like you to do, looking at those elements, where, share with the people in your group, where you see yourself in the context of where you work, where you see yourself having rank, having power in those elements that are indicated there. So just be honest to say this, in the context of where I function, my race gives me rank, or my gender gives me rank, or my tenure in terms of how long I've worked in my, in my company gives me rank, or the fact that I've worked uh, for long overseas or in the industry. Whatever it is, you would know your situation better. Just uh, in triads for about 10 minutes or so with somebody next to you, Discuss and let me see whether you are able to indicate instances where you have rank. What I'm asking, if the person doesn't recognize their rank and you see it, tell them, challenge them to say, no, you do have rank here. And, and one, thing, one thing that I forgot to mention, as crazy as it sounds, do you know that it has been proven over and over again that other crazy things like height, do you know that the taller you are, height goes with rank. Believe me, how deep your voice is. It's like suddenly, wow, this person has rank, okay? The people who are beautiful. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, they add up. Check, go Google and check the research that was done on U.S. presidents to say the majority of them have been six foot tall, except maybe for... George Bush, but majority, no majority of them, just check the research, it's there, that they have been so tall, there is just something about when you show up with your height, uh, it's like, you know, the brain, unconscious bias plays with our minds. Who says a shorter person is better than a taller one? This is what rank does. So discuss 10 minutes.
Okay. Let's hear from let's hear from some of the discussions. Let's hear time for confessions. Where do you have rank? Let's just hear from as many as you can share with us because this is where the learning happens now. Yes. Can you give him the mic? Thank you. Uh, yeah, we talked about a fascinating one, which Just is... Just for interest, say yes, your name so my that name people is where Tamba you come Kamedze, from. Um, and most people will know me. Um, <laughs> I, um, but we talked about... I didn't about, hear you. What did you say? No, I said most people know me. I don't. <laughs> I have lack of rank here. Yes, absolutely. And what I'm going to say is... Yes. One of the things we have found, we sometimes hear ourselves saying this, we're uh -huh. talking to a few people here who've moved out of the actuarial realms, but in a conversation or when presenting, they find themselves, I find myself, these words pop out, I'm an actuary. <laughs> <laughs> because? And yes, because it, it gives you a huge amount of rank yes. and privilege, certainly in, in this environment. Yes, 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 then. Hi. Just to quickly add on this, so I'm, I'm Søren from Hanover Re here in South Africa. I'm uh, living here since six months, but I'm, uh, I'm German. Okay. And I lived uh, the last couple of years in Asia, um, also in China, so where the ranking system, as we heard this morning, is a bit different. But just to extend on the ranking of an actuary in, in a German corporate environment, it's completely different. Uh, I've never lived in a country as here in South, South Africa where the rank of an actuary is that highly regarded. So I can honestly tell you, in, in our German headquarters, for most of the colleagues, I don't even know if they are qualified or not. <laughs> because it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make a huge difference in pay. It doesn't make a huge difference in positions. And I can tell you from uh, my experience now in, in Asia and in, in Europe, South Africa for me so far is the country with the highest uh, ranking points given on the difference between qualified actuaries and not yet qualified actuaries. Um, still don't have an explanation for that. What? So, yeah. Wow. That is why I think, thanks for that, that is why we were saying rank is contextual, right? There's context to it. In a particular context, you find that you have high rank. In some contexts, it's not. Um, but there was a hand there. I'm, I'm fairly interested in why that situation is like that in South Africa, seeing that I'm not an actuary, so. <laughs> so I'll stand up because I feel better when I stand up. <laughs> My name is Ndibuho Makuba. So, from uh, which organization you from work for Liberty, yourself? Liberty okay. Group okay. in Bramfontein. <laughs> Negative 10%. Now that's details. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so as in South Africa, given the apartheid past, you'd imagine that as a black female, let's park the actuarial parts, I'd have lesser rank in the actuarial space. But I found that, as you mentioned, there's context to rank. Yeah. And um, when I was a senior woman in a previous organization, literally on the third month of my pregnancy, I walked in the next day and I said, today is going to be my last day for the next uh, 10 months. Then I sat at home and they waited for me. They never hired anyone. They made arrangements for the pensions, for the medical aid. And that was rank. <laughs> Not many women can just walk in and say, today is mm -hmm. going to be my last day. And, and, and what which, it did is it opened up for the other women, because I was like one of the first to have kids, opened up for the other women to feel more relaxed, mm -hmm. that they could quote, like in a low case. Yes. But you made an arrangement, yeah. 
Yes. You know, so, and that... Because when there's precedent, yeah. you can't suddenly others treat them differently. Yeah, but it took a lot of personal power to just walk in and say, today's going to be my last day. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what, what were you calling on? Which part of your rank were you? Uh, the manager. Okay. And, um, and the fact that I have guts and I'm stupid. Because I literally went, but guys take five months sabbaticals to go to the Amazon to find themselves. Why can't I when I don't have a choice? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just had a high-risk pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So stupidity played yeah. a huge part. <laughs> but being a manager helped. Maybe just bravery, not stupidity. <laughs> yeah, we didn't call it that. Okay. Others? Yo, there was so much talking. I know it was meant for your ears, but let's, let's learn from some of your examples. Yes, yes, ma'am. Hi. So I found it uh, extremely difficult uh, being an, a woman the, the in the name? natural environment. Name? My name is Nazarene. Um, from? So I work for Deloitte okay. UK. Yeah. My international connections okay. help a lot, yeah? Yes. <laughs> um, so I found it extremely difficult because um, I started off being an actuary um, a long time ago and I was probably the first non-white actuary in South Africa. Um, and when I started work, I was often the only female in a very white male-dominated environment. It's become a lot easier now. But uh, all my colleagues were extremely privileged and I came from the other side of the tracks. So I had the full um, experience. And one of the reasons I enjoyed the UK so much was because um, there wasn't that difference. They valued me just for my technical skills. But there again, I have come across issues with gender. So um, I remember winning uh, of one of the biggest deals my company has ever won. Um, I convinced the CEO that we had to go for the deal, even though we didn't have a solution. Um, and the response I got after I won it uh, from people who hadn't met me, um, and my colleagues came back to me with, the, with these views, was that, oh, is that Nazarene? I thought she would be 20 feet tall. But that, didn't, that wasn't the only comment. The other comment was, she must be extremely difficult to work with. And I often wonder if that comment would have been made if I was a man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and why, why do you think they were saying because of what you had won, therefore? Yeah, what I had achieved was tremendous. Okay. But because, but because I was a woman, I must be extremely difficult to work with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They didn't know me, but... Yeah, I'm, I must be extremely difficult yeah. to work with. In, can, can I just ask, and I know it might be a difficult question, for people who are in their respective organizations here, are there instances where you observe negative use of rank impacting people within, I see some people nodding, uh, and I know it might be difficult to say examples, but just, I mean, the people who've showed up here, my assumption is they, they want to learn more as to what can we do better. So are there examples, instances where you have observed people with rank actually more diminishing other people's talent than actually multiplying people's talent because of their unawareness? Have you, have you noticed that? 
Wanna share? There's a lot of nodding. What could they do differently? What, what raising that awareness? Uh, Temba Gametze. Um, I work for Alternative Energy. <laughs> um, yes, I, I mean, there are many examples. Um, I've had a reasonably long career. But one of the most frustrating is when you talked about a young person in the company, let's say, has a good idea and doesn't say it. Yeah. Well, the other can happen as well. You actually say it, but nothing happens. Carry on, carry on. And then later, somebody of rank says yeah. it, and it's suddenly a wonderful idea. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I was talking about picking up. If in a meeting something like that happened, and I know that it's her who said it, and somebody is now being attributed to somebody else, I must go back to say, you know, the point that she mentioned, that's how we change the car. It sounds like we are orchestrating or socially engineering. This is how change happens. You're making people aware that you cannot attribute her idea to him. She said it. I was here in the room and I said, you know, exactly that idea that you mentioned earlier. And then people will start noticing that something has to change in the, in, in the system. Others? Yes, ma'am. Hi, um, I'm Audrey. So I've had a from? senior from Santa. Okay. So I've had a senior manager, and thank goodness I didn't report to him, say to me before that he doesn't like paying for female actuarial students to study. Because we just end up having babies Pregnant. and not using our qualification. <laughs> so, um, but, and he said it to me, frankly, like he didn't think that it mattered that he would just say it to me, but. Um, he had a female actuarial student working for him, and when she did fall pregnant, the abuse she faced was just incredible. And I really wish that she could have had a different support system around her. Yeah. Th thanks for mentioning that. You know why I keep on pushing to say other instances? I do workshops in companies with people with actuaries, with accountants. I know these examples are there. And people go through, and then we do focus groups, and then somebody's resigning. One of my recent clients, there's an exodus of women from that company. They are really leaving. And, and you know, to, to try and solve it when it's already at a crisis stage takes too much energy. So it's important for us to do work proactively. Engage, we're just using gender as an example. Engage and say, how can we create an inclusive environment for women? Not that people want to be spoon-fed. I mean, the fact that you're all qualified, nobody wants to be spoon-fed. You are basically saying, once I'm in the system, how is it that I feel that I'm not being included? And when you create that safe space for people to talk, um, then at least that's what you are doing. You are working towards an inclusive culture in, in, in your organization. Because unless we raise these things, people don't know. And I know sometimes you raise it and then people roll their eyes and do the rolling of eyes. Guys, the minute you do that, you know what it says to me? says, if my boss does that next time, I'm not going to mention this thing. So, hence we say in, in uh, forums like this, let's speak up and just highlight to people what is happening that needs to change within, within a system. You know, I said I'll use, uh, before I get to the last stage of some of the tips, I said I'll use an example of positive use of rank. I think it was about 13 or so years ago. Um, uh, six of us, uh, we were invited to, for, to President Mandela's house for dinner. 
uh, which was a nice thing. We were told on a Tuesday that, that we, we, the dinner is on a Saturday. If I tell you that from that Tuesday, me personally, I went to buy the Economist, the Financial Mail, the International, this, you know those newspapers that are UK papers and anything that is global. I was buying and I was trying to read because in my head it's like, wow, this big man, I need to sound this intelligent person. I read and you know when you read under pressure, nothing goes in. Ne? I was checking and then we go uh, to dinner. If I tell you that 70% of the discussion in that dinner was about him telling us stories that when he's at Kunu and uh, he's in the village, that those people don't regard me like you in Jobek. When I'm there, I sit under a tree, I meditate, I mean, I mediate over squabbles, and the one in particular was mediating over a woman saying the neighbor stole her chicken, so I have to sit under a tree, and we were talking, and the more he, he and I was like waiting for this big thing, for him to ask us these big things that in my head, I thought was happening. And then after that, he turned the situation around. There were only six of us. So the, the, the sixth one was the, the daughter. So he focused on the five of us. He was asking us individually, so what do you do? So my friend is a tax lawyer, and he was explaining, and he kept on saying, wow, that's great. I know nothing about that. Tell me more. And then he got to me, what do you do? I said, I'm consulting. Wow, do these managers listen? I said, yeah, they, sometimes they listen. And we were talking with... Do you know that by the time that dinner finished, I actually realized that he elevated us. We were almost like walking on water. He made us feel so special. There was nothing about his bigness. It was more about the minute you speak about yourself, he would deepen that and say, tell me more, educate me more. By the time we finished, we were like walking, wow, you know? And first of all, I wasted my money with all those papers and magazines. But, but secondly, for me, and he was telling us stories that it's so important to know. He says he calls the security, his security guards. He says, I make it a point, I call them by name, right? He says, do you know how special it is to call somebody? But if you work with somebody often, even if they are a guard there, call them by name. I always pick up good things when I learn from a leader. So I live in Nowood, uh, there's a garage there. I remember the first few weeks, uh, a guy was pouring petrol and you know, they were wearing these badges and uh, one was Bonaventure. So I said, wow, thanks Bonaventure. He looks at me and said, how do you know my name? And it's here. Do you know what that means? Is that we, we, sometimes we look at people that just, just, you know, just a tree next to you. So the little things that we learn, for me, I never forgot how I felt when I left that house. It was like, I'm this special, the, all the five of us, like we are these special people. He already has rank. He already, he knows when you already have that, okay, all you can do is that how can I make those without rank actually feel that they are special? That's how you nurture talent. And that's how I'm hoping that all of us would look at within my sphere of influence, what can I do to make somebody, to multiply someone's talent as opposed to diminishing somebody else's talent. What's, last slide as to what are some of the tips that um, how to create an inclusive environment wherever you work, number one. Uh, I think it's important to solicit opinions. Find opportunity to ask people. I would like your opinion about this when you're already there. Engage people. I would like to know 
more about what you are saying. Connect on a personal level. Take a few minutes to engage in non-business conversations. Engage with people in non-business conversations and build that rapport. That's how we build teams. I say to the CEO, if, if you are a cricket fan, you love cricket, right? And in, the, in your team, five people are cricket fans and you have two who are soccer fans, ne? As the CEO, you're always engaging with the other because that's your passion. And, and you know, a sport is a big thing in South Africa. So I always give them a tip to say, you know, Peter, if it's only me in your team who loves soccer, you don't even have to know the players. You just have to know when is the Soweto Derby or when is, just to ask, because this is how you engage, connect. You know that something big in, in, in my sporting life is happening. Just by a leader saying, wow, there's something at FNB over the weekend. Hey, are you going? You don't even have to know the goalkeeper. You don't have to know anything. You are just showing interest. The same way I connect with others in non-business related, if I connect with all my staff members, and really people don't expect much. It's just that engagement. Ask questions. When you have a negative reaction to a colleague's statement or suggestion, lead your response with a question, not rubbish, that doesn't make sense, you know? Engage differently. When I said this is an open heart work, it's work that unless you are willing to engage the heart, then it won't really happen. Attribute credit uh, ideas. Acknowledge by name the owner of the idea. Credit people with their ideas. Acknowledge them. Monitor facial expressions. You might say this is a nun. Monitor facial expressions. I look, if, if my boss is like, you know, uh, when he or she is engaging with me, I pick up that, right? Actively listen. Being attentive to the speaker enhances the quality of their message. Actively listen. If you, one of the best books on listening is by Nancy Klein called Time to Think, as if you have spare time. If you have spare time, you can read the book. It's one of the most powerful books on how to actually listen. Because uh, we think by having two ears, we know how to listen. Listening is a skill. If someone comes to you, it can even work at home, whether your spouse or whatever. Someone comes to you, they want to discuss something important. You've already asked them three questions before they finish their statement. What that book says, which I really like, is that when you do that, instead of listening attentively, you're changing someone else's script. I haven't finished. I've come with something to say to you. Before I even halfway through my sentence, you've already asked me four other questions. So all what I'm doing, I'm responding to your questions. So, you know, actively listening. Um, draw in participation when addressing a group. Send messages to encourage participation to anyone. Monitor. Do you know? I don't know the, most of you who do engagement surveys. Uh, I just find this is so South African. Whenever we do engagement surveys, there is something that my manager didn't greet me. My manager doesn't greet. There is something about connections. There is something culturally about just connecting. And I often say to leaders, it might not be your culture to greet everybody, but you know that it takes half a second to just say hi. Ne? You've lost nothing. So remember, inclusion is a call to action. Do something different. That builds a team. Respond constructively to differences. When responding to someone's comment you disagree with, show that you understand their perspective before you just shut them down. I don't have to agree with everybody. I don't have to agree with my team members. But to say, you know, that's your perspective, rather than just say, 
I'm not interested in listening to you. So finally, we do this because in any given system, we are working towards the end goal, the end goal being what we're calling inclusion. There is something we call the framework of inclusion. Wherever you work, you'd find that there are people who find themselves in any one of these quadrants. We have this top quadrant, this quadrant called exclusion. Exclusion, that's when you have low value in uniqueness and low belonging when you are here. Is that in the team, for whatever reason, you don't belong. Your uniqueness is not valued, is not being engaged. But other people in your team, other people in your department are more uh, uh, valued and engaged. And then the second one is called assimilation. These two are shaded in gray because we call them the illusion of inclusion. Uh, assimilation looks like inclusion. When I look at you, I enter into company X or Y, and assimilation meaning that I adopt the dominant culture norms and downplay my own. Because I say, when you are in Rome, what's the word? Do as the Romans, as long as all the Romans are doing it. So if it's, if it's only me or two people who have to be downplaying who they are in order to fit in, then you know that there are pockets of people who are assimilating, who are not really feeling that their uniqueness is valued and they are coming uh, fully into, into the, the, the organization. You, we hear people saying... I was interviewed in that panel. People liked my assertiveness. They liked the fact that I was challenging. And then I was appointed. Somewhere in between, my boss no longer likes the fact that I challenged. What happened to the me at the interviewing panels? Now, I have to be fitting into the way things are being done and downplay that very thing that they said we like how feist you are. Or differentiation, individual is not treated as an insider in the team, but their unique characteristics are seen as valuable or required for group success. Uh, it might not be happening in your organizations, but I'm using it as an example. I'm a member of your team. Under normal circumstances, I'm not, you know, I'm not regarded. I don't fit in. And, um, and then because I'm a woman, a company is looking for some other tender. And then, ah, Nini, you're a very important member of our team. That week, you're like building up to that day that we have to go and see MEC so-and-so. Then you say, you are, in fact, you are the one who's going to do the presentation, right? You, you great. After that, we meet up indeed with the MEC or whoever we present. And after that, go back to your little corner. Okay, I know I'm using extreme examples, but I'm just saying that sometimes there are people that we use them selectively for whatever is benefiting at that point in time. We are all working towards hoping that inclusion is when the individual is treated as an insider and allowed even encouraged to bring their best because it is only when I bring the full me that you'll get 100% from what I need to be offering. And yes, this is not about me, me, me. All of us, there is something that I need to let go of so that all of us meet at the corner called inclusion. And when you are a leader, when you have rank and you see, you notice lack of inclusion, you have a power to reach out to make other people feel included in building the kind of society that we are looking for. One or two questions, so we finish.
Yes. Yes, sir. Um, what I see with, you can call it a, a political type of approach in a business where people are um, jockeying for position so that they've got the rank to be understood, that, that to me seems very anti-inclusion yeah. uh, practice. I've seen a lot of these people say, oh, I was talking to this person the other day, name dropping. Mm -hmm. yeah, are those things actually opposite or is there space for, you could say, corporate politics and this? It depends on their motives. You know, there's a, Chris Adjuris wrote a book he, uh, on organizational development. He said, in any organization, when there's a box, let's say I'm a head of department, this and this, I'm occupying that box in the organogram. Below every box are two invisible levels. Level, invisible level one is called network of relationships and connections. Invisible level two is called culture. And those are not visible, but they are so influential. So I could be so connected within an organization. And again, if I use my connections to the disadvantage of other people, and there's nothing wrong with connections. If I've worked, you and I have worked for 15 years, we will be close, we will be connected. It's not the issue. The issue is that how are we using those connections and ensuring that everyone is actually able to succeed in an organization. People who name drop, Depending on their motive, normally when people name drop, it's because they are short of something. They want to, to, to sort of shortcut and get some other benefit. I don't think name dropping is, is, is the best uh, uh, in life. It's a very lazy way of engaging in, in, in relationships. Yes, sir. Uh, from we solve for x um, quite an interesting discussion my role might be different so as a startup I just want to know how do I make sure that my future employees feel like they're more inclusive in the company your future what future employees oh feel more inclusive there's nothing that beats having dialogues you know I often say to people please don't wait for exit interviews do staying interviews right Exit interviews, I'm already up to here, using the Africans' word, I'm G-fall. Now you want to engage me at that time. Why? Life is changing. That do staying interviews, you know. Um, one uh, ANZ bank in Australia did one of the most powerful things. They were losing a lot of women who were leaving uh, when they were going for maternity leave and not coming back. They then decided to say, let's have focus groups with women who have not indicated that they want to leave, who ha have not even indicated that they want to be pregnant, engage them. And just by listening to someone to say, what would make you actually leave? the organization, what's your deal breaker? Let's engage, you get better truth than asking me at the exit level, how do I feel? That's a big question, when I've already resigned from my boss and you are saying, how do I feel? So I think proactively engage people, talk to them, rather than just an engagement survey being electronic, talk to people and get to hear their examples as to what will make them leave your organization. It's exactly 25 past 11. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I, I hope you'll benefit something. What you at least have taken. Thank you.